From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, and my co-host is Dr. Kathy Greenberg. We are your leadership development coaches. We've helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. And today's show is all about the brain and the neuroscience of leadership in a new field called neuroleadership. David Rock is our guest. He's the author of Quiet Leadership, How People Think Better, Don't Tell Them What to Do. And he's also the founder and CEO of a coaching company called Results Coaching Systems. Kathy and I want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. Welcome, Kathy. Thanks, Relly, and I'm really excited to have David Rock on the show today. You know, Relly and I know that you as listeners um, are exceptionally great leaders as well, and leaders are the heart. They're the heartbeat of any organization. Most leaders really underestimate just how much influence they have over others, and thus they and their teams can underperform. But by doing just a few things differently, you can drastically improve your performance and your organizations. What you'll learn in all of our shows are how to develop more leaders in your organization, what happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies, brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance, which is what David Brock's going to talk about today, generation and gender differences, work-life balance practices, strategies for managing your boss, self-management tools to be your best, plus many more tools and tips. Just before we bring David Rock on, Relly and I know that you want to know more about leadership development, and we want you to know as much as we know. We want you to know that you can increase performance by as much as 77% while increasing your life and professional satisfaction by as much as 50% simply with coaching. You can increase profit by creating coaching networks right inside your own company in just one day. And studies show that happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. Leaders have 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. And emotions, as you know, are contagious. And leaders are the emotional thermostat for their teams. The key to being a star performer, someone performing in the top 10%, is emotional intelligence, and we're going to talk more about that today. As a leader moves up the corporate ladder, 85% of their competencies for success are in the emotional intelligence domain when compared to IQ or uh, what we call technical expertise. Leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue, believe it or not, to the organization when compared to managers in the 11th to 89th percentile, twice as much revenue. When coaching is added to training a person's productivity, is really enhanced by 88%, 88%, while training alone is a 22% increase. That's really a change. Now, these small micro-initiatives that we talk about can create macro-impacts, and that's what we're going to talk about today with David Rock. 
For more leadership and coaching information for your organization, you can contact me, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, at www.h2cleadership.com for happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching services, or Dr. Relly Nadler at www.truenorthleadership.com for emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. Relly, why don't you take us into today's show? Yeah, I'm very happy to introduce our guest, David Rock. Uh, it, recently at the uh, ICF conference in 2007, I was in Long Beach, uh, David gave a uh, resounding and very popular talk. I missed it, and it was one of those things that all my colleagues said, oh, you should have heard this guy. He was great talking about the brain and talking about coaching, really uh, giving some sound, practical coaching tools. So I picked up his book and, and have been really enjoying working with that, using some of the concepts that David has in his book, Quiet Leadership. David Rock is one of the thought leaders in the global coaching profession. The coaching system he developed in the mid-'90s has been taught to over 10,000 professionals worldwide. He's the founder of Results Coaching Systems, which is helping global organizations such as EDS, AIG, and NASA build coaching cultures, and we'll be asking about how he does that. He's the author of three books, and I mentioned the most recent one is Quiet Leadership, and then the soon-to-be-released Coaching with the Brain in Mind, and we'll get David to maybe talk about that. David is also the founder of the Neural Leadership Summit, and that's a global initiative bringing neuroscientists and leadership experts together to build a new science of leadership development. He is collaborating closely with several senior neuroscientists on research, including brain research project involving coaching in China, and we're going to ask him more about that. David also co-founded the coaching certificate programs at NYU and has taught these for three years. We're going to start off asking him some questions first about coaching, and then we'll get into some of the neuroscience applications, and then talk about your, your new book and, and uh, neuroleadership. So we've got a lot to cover, David, and welcome to the call. Thank you very much, Relly. Thanks for having me here. So, David, where are you today? I'm calling in from Sydney, Australia, and uh, I live, uh, I'm bi-hemispherical, um, which means I live across both hemispheres. I have a home in Sydney and in New York, and I uh, travel between the two about five or six times a year. But my work is global, so my, I have clients in, um, in Asia, in um, Europe, in uh, Scandinavia, in Africa, the U.S., uh, right, right across the world. And uh, most of my clients actually have people that are doing, uh, doing work with us um, in you know, 100, 100 different countries. So a lot of my work is very much about getting uh, these ideas out to a, a truly global uh, audience. Well, it makes me smile, and I don't know if that's a neuroleadership issue or not, just to know that you're in a sunny space like Sydney. So, Actually, we've had the worst uh, weather since 1956. No, you're kidding. Sorry to disappoint you, but uh, it's a very, very, very average summer, but uh, we're hoping for a late Indian summer, as they say. But I'm calling in from Sydney, and I'm back in New York. Well, wonderful. How did you first get interested in coaching? You know, I um, I was uh, taking a sabbatical uh, from um, doing a lot of training years ago, and uh, I've been in coaching for 10 years. And I was taking a sabbatical, and I was thinking about what I wanted to do next and kind of what was um, what would be really interesting. And I realized that there was this sort of dark secret to training, which was it was very hit and miss. And, uh, there was, you know, if you really wanted training to impact, 
you needed it to be much more tailored to the individual and their needs, and it needed to you needed to stay with people as well over time, not just kind of this one-off thing. And I'd noticed that, and I decided to uh, really investigate that, and I couldn't find anything in the way of um, models or research or processes or science or anything in this whole realm of how do you help successful people get even more successful. Um, there were things happening, but I, I couldn't find anything, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and I decided to develop some thinking in that field and spent five years really deeply immersed in the question of what's the most effective and efficient way to coach. Um, and that's the, kind of how it started. Well, that's um, great to hear, David, because I know uh, coaching itself, you know, didn't start until maybe the late 80s, so you were uh, on, the, on the cutting edge there. And so thinking about uh, coaching in general, Who've been some of either your heroes or, or teachers early on around coaching or just uh, life in general? You know, I, I have an unusual um, uh, brain. I, everyone has a very unusual brain. <laughs> Everyone's brain is fantastic and very individual. But, uh, you know, I didn't come through a coach training school or program or anything like that. Um, I had more of a scientific brain. Right. Um, I've always been fascinated by, uh, by physics, by uh, biology, by brain functioning. It's been an interest for a long, long time, for over 20 years. Um, I, some of my uh, heroes are people like the late uh, Richard Feynman, uh, the late great uh, physicist who was always completely breaking the paradigm of how they you know, thought about different aspects of science. Mm. Um, and a lot, of my, uh, a lot of the people that I learn from are people that no one would have heard of Mm-hmm. that are just mentors who, who have something that I really respect, um, mentors who um, perhaps have believed in me, but they, they have a sort of a quality that I'm looking to develop, whether it's um, more of a sense of presence and mindfulness or whether it's an ability to really challenge my own thinking. Um, but I, I think there are, I run into a tremendous number of people who are changing the world and I guess I do that because of the research I'm doing on, on neuroleadership. But I run into an amazing number of scientists. Um, you know, I just interviewed 21 neuroscientists for this next book. Oh. Um, all of those people changed my life in some way or another. Mm-hmm. They're all doing incredibly inspiring work. And probably if you asked 100 people on the street if they've heard of any of them, no one would have. <laughs> um, so there are a lot of very, very uh, fan- there are a lot of fantastic people out there that are not well known that I think are coming up with, with really important ideas. And someone recently called me, uh, called me a neurotransmitter. They said, David Rock, you're a neurotransmitter. <laughs> and I said, That's a big uh, compliment. It was. I said, that's, I said, that's fantastic. I've never thought of it like that. It's exactly what I, what I do. And in the last uh-huh. five years, I've been meeting with and connecting with these neuroscientists to, to actually translate and then share their important findings because they do have some really important things to say. So, so I think there's some amazing people out there um, uh-huh. that, that I meet with all the time that have a big impact on me. Well, I think you're, you're making an incredible link, and I, I like that neurotransmitter. So you're taking some of the neuroscience and then bringing it into leadership. So we'll, we'll talk some more about, uh, about that as we move on here. Mm. So, what is the scope of your practice with results coaching? And then we'll get more into some of the uh, neuroscience stuff. Yeah, no, it's been a really interesting journey, and I'm I'm still absolutely fascinated and captivated by the the, the process. Um, We're 10 years old as an organization, and now one of the largest coaching organizations worldwide. We have operations uh, everywhere from the Middle East and Africa and India, the UK, the US, Australia, Asia, New Zealand, and opening up Latin America and Eastern Europe at the moment. Um, So, you know, very uh, globally, very widespread. Not an enormous company, but we've had a big impact. We would have worked with over 10,000 individuals to teach them how to be better coaches, mm-hmm. and about 6,000 of those really, really deeply. 
um, you know, intensive training and from every country. So we've had some kind of impact in the States, but it's been a really interesting journey. We, we started the business, uh, I started the business 10 years ago, having done about a year and a half of coaching and, and just seeing that coaching was so useful and, and so beneficial and wanting to work out a way to provide it to more people, make it accessible to people. That was one of the original visions, is, is, is how do you make coaching much more accessible to many more people. And uh, we started off by, um, and I'll, I'll try to give you the short version, uh, we started off by um, developing our thinking for the first five years, just developing our thinking on what is great coaching and running workshops and, and, and intensives and really uh, collaborating with people to try and identify the, the most effective and efficient ways to coach. And uh, surprisingly, I found there was a pattern to coaching that was independent of who the coach was, who the client was, and what the content was. Um, and so, it, so the first five years was involved in that. And then um, after the break, I'll, I'll come back and give you a little bit more on that, but uh, what was next. But that was a fascinating first five years of, of diving in and seeing that there was a pattern to coaching, independent of the person, even of the issue. Um, and there literally was a way to coach that was just faster and easier and, and, and had a bigger impact than most of the common ways that people would use. So you know, it started that way um, in just a few countries and now um, has really emerged from there. Well, we'll be right back with Leadership Development News. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a twig set, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadylocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors cried the second. I hope it had the bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. 
homeowners, real estate investors, bankers. bankers. Listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News with Dr. Relly Nadler and Dr. Kathy Greenberg. We're interviewing David Rock, uh, who's been doing coaching for over 10 years. He's telling us about uh, the scope of his practice. And, uh, David, why don't you pick up where you left off there? Yeah, I was saying that for the first five years uh, in our organization, we, we ran a lot of workshops and um, worked with about 2,000 individuals, teaching and coaching, and worked out what this, we worked out a pattern that seemed to be at the heart of coaching, which I may come back to and talk about. But for the last five years, it's been very, very interesting. We found that organizations were, were really hungry to develop coaching cultures, and organizations were coming to us, especially large organizations, saying, um, you know, we'd like to develop a, a coaching culture. We want our managers to be coaches. We want, um, you know, we want to develop this culture. And so for the last five years, we've been really focused on helping large organizations build, uh, you know, coaching cultures. One of our clients, for example, EDS, uh, over 3,000 people have learned to coach in the last few years. Um, and they have, you know, over 100 internal coaches driving, you know, really deep coaching into the organization. Um, and so we work, work with systems, with especially complex systems, to plug in um, the ideas of coaching, the skills of coaching, the, the processes, the methods, um, to, to really instill it into the culture. And that's what we've, you know, now from, from the base, from sort of starting 10 years ago with this question of what's the most efficient way to coach and how do we share it, to now uh, how do we scale this up with uh, with large organizations and um you know working with HSBC with Nokia, uh, with Nokia with um a whole range of you know big name clients to 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 build this into the culture let me ask you a couple of questions that are burning for me and I'm sure for our listeners which is what have you found from your work on the return on investment of coaching in organizations since you've been doing this now for quite a while and you have such an expansive reach it's a it's a great topic, um, and it's wonderful to see in the last three or four years a lot more research coming out on uh, you know on ROI. Um, we're doing some of our own research, which we um, we're really excited by. Um, obviously, when a company does their own research, it's not as it's it's not considered as solid. But we're using very very respected and 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 um, solid um, assessment frameworks and and data collection, and you know the company themselves do the data collection and you know very very conservative measures and. Uh, you know, we're finding, for example, one project for every dollar that they spent on coaching, they returned thirty-nine dollars that they could uh, they could absolutely evidence and find, and that was from only surveying one level. Uh, there was a whole other level to go to, so you know, thirty-nine to one ROI on an That's internal wonderful. coaching project, which is 
pretty incredible. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah, another one, uh, 17 to 1 return on investment. Again, that was just one level. Uh, and these, these ROI studies take into account all costs, the costs of you know, everything involved, um, and then just looking at the financial impact that can be um, conservatively agreed on um, and just looking at the profit percentage of that as well. So not the revenue, and then you know taking all that into account, still seeing very very strong impacts, and uh, we see that time and again. We've worked with over a hundred organisations now on these wide scale programs, and uh, we find time and again that, that there is this big impact. Not that many companies want to do the, the the full you know study and the full ROI study, but when we get to do it, um, the data is quite incredible. In fact, one client uh, was looking for a, a specific ROI, and we beat that ROI target by a factor of a hundred by. Uh, Wow. But, you know, 100 times greater ROI than they were looking for to justify the project. And we, we, in a way, we had to scale it back and take all these things out because we, we just think that they, you know, they wouldn't believe it. Well, that's huge because I know in some of the stuff, I guess, with the Manchester study was a 6-to-1 ratio. So you're yeah. as high as 39-to-1. That's huge. Yeah, and that was in a hospital environment, by the way, too, which was, you know, it was very interesting. Um, it was in Memorial Sloan Kettering. We recently presented that case study at the conference board in uh, New York City, their big oh. executive coaching summit. Um, and, uh, again, there was a lot more value to be found. We think that uh, the, RO, the actual ROI is significantly higher in financial terms um, in, uh, with that program, yeah. So let's, let's hit a couple other things. I mean, one, I'd, I'd love to hear the pattern of coaching that you found and then maybe that I don't I that may tie into how did you start integrating all the neuroscience into your into your programs really two questions I don't know if they're going to be related or not you know you're you're, you're very intuitive really because they, they, they are very into, they okay. are very interlinked those two questions okay good good um, <laughs> you know what happened was for the first five years I was interested in this question of what's the most efficient way to coach and I I, I asked that question and tried to answer it in many ways but the, the best answer came from observing uh, the same coaching question being asked of this, or sorry, the same uh, person having a challenge and having lots of people try to interact with that person for a, sh- a few minutes. So you get person A and then you get person B, C, D, and E all try to coach that person A, you know, on the same challenge for a few minutes. Mm. And doing that once was really interesting because you could say, well, that works slightly better than that, that works slightly better than that. But it wasn't like life changing. Uh, but doing that a hundred times was life changing. Doing that a hundred times and getting data back was was absolutely fascinating because you got to see <clears throat> some very very interesting patterns. That one pattern, first of all, was that most interactions don't do a thing, um, but you know less than one in twenty. Uh-huh. Um, and yet, if you ask the coaches, you know, if they thought they were helpful, they think they're helpful more than half the time. Oh, that's interesting. So there's you know something right there. So most leaders think they're great coaches, and actual fact they're great coaches. You know, way less than five percent of the time, um, but they think they are you know more than half the time. Uh-huh. So that was that was probably the least interesting data. Um, the other interesting data that came through was the obviously the the patterns of the five percent. And one of the, the, the big insights I had early on was about this pattern that came from an accident, a happy accident. By the way, there's a great book called um, Eurekas and Euphorias, which is one of the most wonderful and also depressing books at the same time because it, mm. it describes how many of the world's uh, scientific breakthroughs happen. And, and the vast majority of them are completely happy accidents that wouldn't happen anymore because of the you know, stringent sort of uh-huh. lab techniques. That, you know, uh-huh. um, and sort of people leaving things out overnight and almost exploding and coming back and discovering, you know, right. some great chemical. But anyway, um, <clears throat> there was this happy accident that happened. And the accident was 
you know, if you've got person A putting a challenge, you've got person B, you know, trying to do some coaching, um, etc. Well, someone sort of came into the course late, into that exercise late and joined and became person C. And person A with the, with the challenge was about to say, well, let me tell you the challenge. And person C says, don't worry, I'll, let me just try something. I, I, don't tell me anything. And the amazing thing is person C was the most, you know, had the biggest impact on the client. Now, that's really counterintuitive. In fact, it's, it's completely, you know, it's completely not what any normal person would think is possible or realistic. But it started to point to something that, you know, that there's something going on here that the more the coach kind of gets into the information and into the, the situation, it seems like the less helpful they are. So, so what did person C do in that situation? Well, you know, what they did is they, they didn't try to think for the person. Uh-huh. They didn't try to get into the issue. They didn't get into the content. And as a result, they, they, they really allowed the other, or they, they helped the other person to think. Because they didn't have any information, what they did instead was they relied on the other person to think, and they tried to notice patterns in the other person's thinking and, 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 and help them with that. And it resulted in insight. So, so one of the patterns that I noticed was that the more you get into the content, you know, the, the less you seem to be able to really help people in coaching. Or just the longer it takes. You might get there, but it takes a lot longer. So that was one pattern. Um, another pattern I, I saw that was very, very clear was that, um, was that people love to talk about their problems and that as soon as you start talking about their problems, um, it's like this slippery slope and they get more and more engaged in their problems and they seem to get further and further away from mm-hmm. solutions. And I realize if you, if you get sort of 20 of these scenarios and, and observe them in, in one hit, you'll find that most of those 20 scenarios involve people end up talking about their problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, so I realized there was, these, there was these patterns. And then I started to talk to lots of coaches and rethink about this. And what I saw was uh, two fundamental patterns across every type of coaching model and coaching scenario and coaching situation and everything. And everyone was saying the same thing. Now, why is that? You know, of course, there's, there's got to be a reason for that, which brought me to the science. But the two patterns were, um, the, the, firstly, uh, letting people come to their own connection, letting people make their own connections, mm-hmm. okay, rather than the coach making the connections for people. That's the first pattern. So helping people make their own connections. And the second pattern was helping people focus on the solutions, not the problems. Mm. Now, I'm sure I'm the millionth person to say that this week, so it's not new. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting was that these were universal patterns and they were universally difficult for people to do. Mm-hmm. And that universally, if you could get people to just do those things and kind of change how they reacted at those two, in those two levels, yeah. uh, the coaching completely transformed. But David, wouldn't you say that the reason for that is that if we look at the evolution of the brain, the brain is hardwired for hard times. Well, that's exactly what happened, is, is I got very curious about what is the reason for this and where does this come from and why is this so universal. Um, and that led me to the science. And what I, what I realized early on was that people, you know, the, the, the brain is a problem-solving machine. And given a question, the brain loves to try and solve problems. You know, we, that's what the brain does, second to second. Mm-hmm. And so when you give an, you know, when an executive sits down to coach someone, um, let's say they sit down to coach someone and the person says, I'm having trouble with this project, the executive can't help themselves but want to know all about the project because they love solving problems. Mm-hmm. That's what their brain loves to do. And so unless they hardwire a new way and really work on that, they're always going to go back to wanting to do the thinking for people. And unfortunately, um, even if you give them something like a, the, the GROW model or Cigar or something else, it, it, people are so hardwired to think for others that what they do in many cases is use those as kind of consulting tools but still end up 
doing the thinking about you know the issue for the other person. And so it was a, a very deep insight um, and very counterintuitive, but it, but that was one of the, the the really big findings in this pattern. So the most effective way to coach ended up being not doing any thinking about the person's issue, mm-hmm. but instead helping them think and keeping them focused on solution. And that's sort of the, the two guiding principles of a brain-based approach um, and really doing those in a very pure way uh, in that way. You know, it's, I think that's fascinating because, uh, both Kathy and I, as coaches, and we've we've kind of hit on this idea. It's not our idea, but uh, Robert Hargrove about being a thinking partner and truly, mm. you know, being a thinking partner. And I think it kind of relieves a lot of coaches from having to feel like they got to be an expert on all these topics when it really is trying to tease out the thinking. And I think you've done a really nice job uh, elucidating that. And maybe you know, from that, take us a, take us to. Um, maybe just the introduction around neural leadership, maybe just a little bit, and then we'll come back right after break and hear about what this It's a new field being termed neural leadership. Yeah, well, I was, um, I was working at NYU building these uh, coaching programs and um, building in these skills, and then I started working on a theory base to be able to academically explain coaching. And what happened, to cut a long story short, was we, we, we kept exploring all these different fields that, that helped explain coaching, system theory, change theory, learning theory, and all of that, um, positive psychology. But the, the, the neuroscience was pro- providing this much, much more coherent um, and complete explanation of what it is that we were seeing. And uh, I didn't mean to become a sort of neuros- neurotransmitter. It wasn't my goal in life. <laughs> but it became impossible to avoid explaining coaching from a neuroscience perspective. And no one else was doing it, and it seemed such an important thing to do. So I've spent the last three or four years really diving into that question intensively, writing, teaching, researching, interviewing, studying, um, and, and really uh, reaching out to the neuroscience world to bring across um, from there, you know, the physical evidence of how and why coaching actually does work, and especially what's the active ingredient in coaching. Is it trying to understand the actual active ingredient versus the, the sort of nice to have in the filler? Well, let's, let's keep following up on this because this is fascinating, and, and uh, we're going to go to the break now, and you'll listen to Leadership Development News. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve. 
of the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speak. All leaders rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Hey, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News with myself, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, Dr. Relly Nadler, and David Rock. David, you were just talking to us about the the brain, how it's organized, its need for solving problems. And most people don't realize that the brain is basically a survival organ. Can you talk a little bit about how this thing called neuroleadership is contributing to leadership development from that standpoint? Absolutely. You know, and what happened, uh, just to make a little a connection to what I was discussing before, uh, what happened from... Um, uh, doing this work at NYU and, and developing this brain-based approach is uh, I realized that what I was coming across was something much bigger than coaching. And several mentors and uh, different people said to me, you know, what you're finding is much bigger. It's, it's, it's actually about leadership. And uh, I ended up writing a paper uh, with a co-author, uh, as a, neuros- a neuroscientist co-author, Jeffrey Shorts, and we published it in Strategy and Business magazine. It was called The Neuroscience of Leadership. Um, and it's, a, it's become kind of a manifesto of the, the neuroleadership field. It really launched the field, I think. It was the, uh, it was the most popular article for Strategy and Business that year and then just reprinted, came out in 06. Very easy to find online, the neuroscience of leadership, pick up. But the, um, what happened was this whole idea of understanding not just coaching, from, but leadership from the brain perspective started to emerge. And leadership from, uh, from perspective of the brain is really about changing the way people's brains work. You know, if you're looking at leadership and thinking about it from a brain perspective, as we're about to do for a few days in New York City at the, the Neuroleadership Summit, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you do that, you're, you're looking at how does a leader change other people's brains. And one of the things that you need to understand about the brain is, as you said, uh, Kathy, it's, it's, it's a very important point, is the brain has many, many survival mechanisms. It's a survival machine in a sense. It's, it's devoted to that. I'll give you an example. If you're trying to work on a project, uh, maybe it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you haven't had lunch, you'll find it very difficult to focus because, uh, not just because you're hungry, but because what's happening in your brain is your, uh, every time you put this project on your mental stage, uh, after a very short time, something else jumps up into your attention and takes over what's on that mental stage. And that something else is the thought, you know, I better eat. So that's a, um, you know, your actual ability to focus is impacted because you're getting this, this survival kind of signal um, saying, you know, eat, your life's in danger. The same thing if you're too hot or too cold or too thirsty or many other things. So you have these survival mechanisms that 
that help you to stay alive you know, physically with all of that? Well, it turns out that there are survival mechanisms that are, uh, they use the same brain systems that are also involved in uh, our interactions with each other. For example, a um, study at UCLA um, by um, Naomi Eisenberger at, uh, in, the, in the social neuroscience field finds that social pain, so when you feel that your status has been uh, attacked, um, you know, you've, you feel you've been put down, so social pain lights up the same regions of the brain as physical pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what you're seeing is it lights it up to the extent that people feel social pain. It's, uh, it's, it's you know, very, very connected. Another scientist, uh, John Cacioppo, finds that, um, that social connections are as important to the brain as food and that uh, what we feel as loneliness um, is a threat response in the same way as hunger. Um, and that people need, you know, crave that social connection because it's, you know, one of our fundamental needs. So there are a whole series of needs, like you've got food, water, temperature, etc. There are a whole series of needs of which, you know, connectedness with others is one. There are a whole series of needs that if they're not met, send out alert signals. And these alert signals, in the same way as, you know, if you're not eating, take your attention, these alert signals also take your attention. So one of these is, is what I call relatedness. And this is coming out in uh, my new book, um, which is out this time next year. I've actually got two books on the way. One is called Coaching with the Brain in Mind, which is a textbook. And then another is uh, called The Brain at Work, uh, which is a book for everyone. Um, and in The Brain at Work, I, I uh, tell the story of two people going through a day and all the, the, the challenges they face and what's going on in their brain. Um, and and the, uh, the, you know, this whole issue of connectedness with others, we call relatedness. So if you have enough uh, positive connections with others, like friends, you're in the, the reward state. If you find that you have foes, more, you know, someone is perceived as a foe, you start to generate a threat. So that's one. Another one is a sense of autonomy, which is a feeling that you have choices. Um, another one is a sense of status, so a feeling that you have, um, that you're important and your, your actual pecking order in relation to other people. Um, and there's another one which is fairness and there's a few others. And basically what you'll find is that, um, is, if you put, there's, there's about five major uh, kind of survival instincts that the brain is hardwired to, you know, socially. And if you put these together, you'll find that, um, uh, that when they're all in the positive, you feel that you, you basically love someone. You know, like if you get all five in the positive, which mm-hmm. means someone makes you feel good about yourself, mm-hmm. uh, someone lets you make choices, uh, someone connects with you, makes you feel safe, someone makes your life feel more certain, and someone treats you really fairly. You, you know, you get all those together. What happens is you, you, you practically want to spend your life with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so rare. And if you take the, put all those in the negative, what you get is most managers. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. So you get someone who makes you feel worse about yourself by pointing out what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, you get someone who, uh, you know, doesn't it makes your life more uncertain by not giving you clear expectations. Right. Uh, someone who's a threat, you know, a foe, not a friend. Someone who doesn't treat you fairly. Um, and uh, uh, you know what you've got is 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 you know why a bad manager is so significant to people. It sends out this threat to their life. That's why people leave companies for a bad manager mm-hmm. because it's you know sending out this incredible alert signal that's overwhelming them with cortisol and inhibiting their ability to literally to live. So, so this, this survival mechanism is very important. Now, bring this back to coaching. I'm glad you asked this question, Kathy. Just look at this question. You know, someone says, I'm having trouble with this project. The question that you respond with is going to determine whether someone is threatened or not. You know, if you just say to someone, well, I think you should, uh, you know, do such and such, you're threatening their status, you're threatening their autonomy. Hmm. 
Um, if you say to them, um, if you start talking about uh, what's wrong with them or you start talking about all the problems there, you're going to generate you know, all sorts of other unexpected responses. And so, you know, if you're dealing with a machine or a system, you know, kind of breaking down right. to, to, to what's wrong with that system is very, very useful. But when dealing with a person, just, uh, you know, looking at what's wrong and, and giving advice um, and focusing on the problems, those things have very, very unexpected con- consequences. And those unintended consequences involve arousing the limbic system, which actually inhibits the ability for people to have insight. And the research and insight is showing, and insight is, is the thing that's at the heart of coaching, uh, in the research and insights showing very, very clearly that as you make people happier, they have more insights. As you make people more anxious, they have less insights. So, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing, the first role of the coach is to create a space where people can have insights. And as soon as you have people threatened, your, your ability to do that goes way, way down. Yes. So that's that's my longer answer to your question. That, oh, that, no, no worries. The longer, the better. I know from experience, and I would love your opinion on this, that fear and appreciation cannot coexist in the brain, and therefore insights require yeah. the relief of fear in order for appreciation to set in and develop those connections. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it turns out that the brain in some ways is simple. In other ways, it's the most complex thing in the known universe. But in some ways, it's simple. And one of the ways it's simple is um, in relation to the, um, the dominant emotional state. There are two emotional states, really, or two categories of emotional states. They talk about them either as toward and away or reward and threat or positive and negative, or advance or retreat, but they're all the same thing. I talk about them in my book as toward and away, so it's an easy, you know, easy way to remember. Toward means that you kind of look at someone across the other side of the street, you think, I'd love to talk to them, and you go over there. Away means you look at that person across the street and you hide so they can't see you. Um, all the emotions are either toward or away emotions. The, you know, a little bit of, of interest is obviously toward, um, a little too much uncertainty is obviously away. Um, and what happens is when you're in the toward state, your brain is open and sees more information and literally perceives, you know, more options. Literally, it's been studied. They've got numbers on this. Uh, Barbara Fredrickson's done this great research in the positive psychology field, right. as well as Mark Jung-Beeman and the insight research. Um, that literally you see far more information and more options in the toward state than the away state. And the, the physiological impact of this is simply, it's very simple. In the away state, you've got far less oxygen and blood. Um, pumping into your prefrontal cortex because mm-hmm. all of it's going into your limbic system and other regions. So your, your prefrontal cortex, which is incredibly uh, energy intensive, uh, just doesn't have the resources. Plus, you get this overabundance of adrenaline and possibly dopamine that floods your circuits and in- inhibits you from actually generating circuits. So this whole question of why, um, you know, why you know, in fear you don't think clearly this whole question has actually been studied all the way down to the level of ion channels in the actual neurons by a scientist by the name of uh, Amy Arnston at Yale Medical. Um, so we've got it, you know, we've got it at the level of ion channels, we've got it at the level of uh, the actual neurons, we've got it at the level of the whole brain region. Um, it's absolutely crystal clear that uh, when you're in a towards state, you're generating a completely different set of chemistry that has a completely different impact on your ability to interact with the world. Well, this is fascinating, and, and that, that's quite a quite a, a large amount for people to be able to digest. So we want to um, come back to a couple questions. Sorry, fire hose of ideas from me this morning. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's good. I, mean, I think for, for both Kathy and I, this is fascinating. And um, so if the brain is hardwiring everything, 
are there some good ways that leaders can create new neural pathways for their followers? And I love what you're saying, that I think really great leaders are trying to change the, the brain chemistry, and a lot's going to happen yeah. with, with the questions that you ask. Absolutely. Look, there's great news about the brain. It actually loves to change. The brain changes every second. Go to a new part of your company, you know, a new, a new part of the building. You create a map with hardly any effort. You create a map of that region. That, you know, you work out where that, you know, part of the building connects to the rest of the building, and it's a part of you pretty much forever just by going there. So it's very easy for the brain to create connections. What's required is attention. Uh, the thing with attention is it moves around, flits around all the time, and it's very easy to threaten people, and when you threaten people, their attention doesn't go to where you want. Mm. So attention changes the brain, and uh, you know, if you can get people to pay attention to a concept without them being threatened, you're going to change their brain. So the question for leaders is simply how do you, you know, make people feel safe and get them to uh, make connections or pay attention to an idea. One of the worst ways to do that is to talk at them because they basically, uh, you know, use the time to think about other things. One of the best ways is to ask questions or to, to, to structure environments and situations where people have to make their own connections on a particular topic. So it, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's quite simple. Attention in the form of, you know, number of seconds and amount of effort changes the brain. Attention density changes the brain. Um, and it creates circuits that are not there before. But people's attention goes too easily to fear. So you've got to create a safe environment, and then how do you get them to create the right connection? So you're in an organization, you want people to focus on the Latin American market. It's not going to be that difficult. Get people to, in a safe way, just have opportunities to think about the Latin American market. And it can be as simple as, you know, start off with, have a Latin American meal, uh, and then, you know, next get someone from that region to come and talk about it. And, you know, you'll find just from those bizarrely unrelated two things, uh, people's brains will start to be more attuned to the Latin American market because they're just simply paying attention to the patterns in that area. Um, and then, you know, and then build up from there and then maybe get them doing some research about it and, and writing reports on it themselves and then getting them to, to share those reports with other people because when you, you, you teach things, you, you learn better. So instead of just giving a lecture about how important the Latin American market is, create ways of people paying attention to the Latin American ideas and models and memes and, and concepts and then it becomes a part of their brain and then they automatically start making more and more of those connections. Mm -hmm. Well, I think some of that, and I like to, to integrate, who's, who's connecting the dots? I mean, there are certain times a leader needs to connect the dots, but I think often they think they always have to connect the dots. And, yeah. and so who's doing the thinking, and are you letting your followers connect the dots? You have a great piece in your book just about uh, deconstructing the uh, aha experience and the release of the neurotransmitters and all the energy that gets connected that way. Yeah, well, everyone's brain is incredibly different, and most people don't realize this. We all sort of go through life thinking that everyone thinks like us or doesn't think like us at all, but mostly it's, it's people think that everyone else is just like us. And actually, everyone's neural pathways are very, very individual when it comes to high-level issues like, um, you know, how do we motivate ourselves and, um, you know, just very, very, even very basic levels like how do we, uh, you know, drive our car. It might look like we use similar parts of the brain, but we've all developed our own uh, shortcuts and our own circuits for how we do, you know, do things and how we think. So the way a leader would connect, you know, would connect to the idea is just different to the way other people would yeah. connect to the idea. And the act, this is the important thing, really, that the act of making the connection is what creates change. Uh -huh. That it's not, you know, it's the leader having had the idea is only the start of the journey. 
right. it's it's getting the other people to actually make connections, and that involves you know connecting point A to point B in their brain, uh, but point A and B are you know millions or billions of points, and in the in the creating the connection, they create a map that becomes a part of who they are, but they also generate this engagement and this this motivation that comes from um, you know wide scale new connection. Um, novelty is something we all seek in, in small ways, and a novel connection, you know, a new idea, a new thought is generally very energizing, um, unless it's too uncertain. So a leader's job is to help people make these connections, um, and at the same time steering, steering them. You know, the, the interesting thing about the threat response and uh, the survival mechanism is it's, it's not so much about, you know, people have to have complete autonomy and you know, there should be no hierarchy. You know, that kind of chaos is not actually the answer, mm-hmm. um, I believe. It, it's actually the perception of autonomy that's important. Um, when it comes to stress, if you have a perception of no autonomy and you'll find something is incredibly stressful and then if you suddenly find that you have some kind of choice and you feel like you have some autonomy, even though it's only perceived and it's very, very minor, the stress goes dramatically down. So, so leaders need to understand it's not about throwing away all structure and just letting everyone make whatever connection. Guidance is useful. Strategy is useful. Focus is power. Focus is important. But at the same time, you need to respect that people need to make their own connections within those frameworks. So I think one of the things that, that I talk to folks about is, is on, on the decision, is are there fingerprints? Are the followers or the employees, are there fingerprints someplace on that? They contributed something. They, they made a connection somewhere on that. That's absolutely one of my favorite quotes is uh, in Quiet Leadership, and it's um, ideas are like children. There are, there are none so wonderful as our own. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, ideas uh, you know, are like life forms that we, we love in some ways. And uh, as people generate them, they do love them, and they do uh, get behind them so much more. Well, so we're going to cut away for a, a break, and then we'll be right back with Leadership Development News. Line in business. Voice America business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
Let's sing that bedtime song. Rockabye baby by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. This is Dr. Kathy Greenberg with Dr. Relly Nadler and our guest, David Rock. David, can you tell us a little bit about the Nora Leadership Summits and how they came about and uh, how our listeners can get in touch with what you're doing in your Nora Leadership Summits? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kathy. Um, about uh, probably right from the beginning, about four years ago, when I really started getting serious about integrating the science into my work, and I'd always had, for 20 years, I'd always had a personal interest in reading very widely and deeply into neuroscience. But four years ago from when I started, I knew that I needed to find a way to kind of connect people up because the neuroscientists, uh, in some ways, um, and this is the nature of science, uh, are very specialized. And they often don't know about each other's work. And if we're trying to build a science for leadership, a new science for leadership and coaching, then we need to sort of be bringing science from many, many different fields. So I'd always been trying, and I had several attempts at this, and uh, eventually, I, um, after writing the strategy and business piece that came out, um, I, I joined the faculty of a university in Europe, um, in uh, northern Italy, near Venice. And um, I was up there teaching, and I said to these guys, you know, we, we, we need to... Um, you know, we need to get all these neuroscientists together who never normally speak to each other, and amazing things will happen. You know, there's someone studying mindfulness who doesn't know about the people studying insight, who doesn't know about the people studying the, the, the you know, the positive and toward and away stuff, and we, we need to get this together and develop a field. Mm-hmm. And these guys, for the first time, you know, after about five times trying this before, said, that's a fantastic idea, let's do this. And in May 2007, uh, we ran the first Neuroleadership Summit. Uh, it was kind of a test to see if there was interest, and we had 40 senior leaders from around the world uh, come into northern Italy to, to, to this mountaintop in a converted monastery, and we spent three days thinking about and talking about uh, with a team of neuroscientists, uh, you know, what is this field called neuroleadership and how do we develop and, and, and build this. And uh, to cut a long story short, we, 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 you know, from the feedback from that, we saw there was tremendous interest, and we had a, a, a story come out in Business Week and in The Guardian in London and other places about this field. And we're now running um, a summit in New York City in October and also in Sydney, Australia, in September. Um, the, the summits, the vision for the summits is gathering people who are important in developing leaders and connecting them with the ideas of, that, that are coming out from neuroscience so that we can develop a, you know, a better science for leadership development and just kind of evolve the science, not throw what we have, but just evolve the science that we have for developing leaders at every level, whether that's in schools, uh, government, big business, uh, you know, leadership at all levels. Um, and the summit, 29, 30 October um, in New York City, is, and the Sydney one on the 10th of September, all of that can be found at neuroleadership.org, 
neuroleadership.org. And the other website to keep in mind, uh, to keep updated with my work and research is davidrock.net. Um, and if you want to stay really connected, uh, go onto my uh, site, davidrock.net, and just register for my newsletter there. Um, but neuroleadership.org will give you lots of information about the summits and who's speaking and what the topics are about and uh, encourage you to check that out. There's also a few audios you can listen to uh, to go more into detail on this. Well, David, this, is, this has been fascinating. It's, it's not enough time, and maybe we'll get you back uh, before the summit just to kind of hear about the new book and everything else. But thank you very much. This has been uh, Leadership Development News, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.